But uh, we just celebrated 4th of July, our nation's declaration of, of independence from Britain. And, but there was something else, <laughs> something else even more significant uh, than that, because in their declaration of independence with Britain, there was a declaration of dependence upon God. Yeah. And that's something we don't want to overlook. I think historically, one of the things that we often hear from a modern interpretation is that maybe this was a bunch of kind of redneck renegades that were just, you know, kind of doing their own thing and uh, a self-made nation of free thinkers and, and whatnot. But uh, the United States has only become great and has only benefited from its dependence on God. This is a blessing that any nation can experience if they will do so. America just happens to be a fairly shining example of that dependency. And so this morning, I want to do something. I don't, I don't know if many of you have done this. Uh, a lot of my study in school focused on our founding documents, constitutional law, different things like that in my undergraduate. But uh, this morning, we're going to read some of the bulk of the Declaration of Independence, and we're going to do that together. I'd like you to stand with me, please. How many have read the Declaration of Independence all the way through from start to finish? That's about what I thought. About a third, maybe, maybe a quarter of us have ever done that. So we're not going to read all the grievances, the list of grievances, but if you, I hope to whet your appetite a little bit this morning and that you would go back and look at those. It's amazing how many parallels we are facing today that they faced then in signing their Declaration of Independence. Courtney, do we have that? When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another, and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them. A decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. That whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people, we need to go back to that one, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Prudence indeed will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes, and accordingly all experience hath shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations, pursuing invariably the same object, evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, 
it is their right, it is their duty to throw off such government and to provide new guards for their future security. Such has been the patient sufferance of these colonies, and such is now the necessity which constrains them to alter their former systems of government. The history uh, of the present king of Great Britain, down below, is a history of repeated injuries and usurpations, all having in direct object the establishment of its absolute tyranny over these states. To prove this, let facts be submitted to the world. Now what they do is they go on and they begin to list a series of grievances. The thing I want you to um, notice here is that up above, if you look at some of the earlier statements about the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them, they were looking to heaven for their right and freedom. They did not look to mankind to give them or offer that freedom. Another thing that's important here, down here at the end, they said, to prove this, let facts be submitted to the candid world. This Declaration of Independence was submitted to King George, but it was written for all the nations of the world. They were submitting this to the entire world. They were saying, listen, here are our grievances. Here are the things. This is nature's law and nature's God who has given us these freedoms, and we put these before you to determine whether or not we are actually have a legitimate cause here. In every stage of these oppressions, we're almost finished. In every stage of these oppressions, we have petitioned for redress in the most humble terms. Our repeated petitions have been answered only by repeated injury. A prince whose character is thus marked by every act which may define a tyrant is unfit to be the ruler of a free people. Wow. You guys see the humility? We have petitioned for redress in the most humble terms over and over again. They did not want to break away from England. That was not their goal from the, from the very beginning. It was only after repeated, repeated attempts. Nor have we been wanting to, in attentions to our British brethren, we have warned them from time to time of attempts by their legislature to extend an unwarrantable jurisdiction over us. We have reminded them of the circumstances of our emigration and settlement here. We have appealed to their native justice and magnanimity, and we have conjured them by the ties of our common kindred to disavow these usurpations which would inevitably interrupt our connections and correspondence. They too have been deaf to the voice of justice and consanguinity. We must therefore acquiesce in the necessity which denounces our separation and hold them as we hold the rest of mankind, enemies in war, in peace, friends. We therefore, the representatives of the United States of America, in general Congress assembled, appealing to the Supreme Judge of the world for the rectitude of our intention, do in the name and by authority of the good people of these colonies, solemnly publish and declare that these United States and our right to be free and independent states, that they are absolved from all allegiance to the British Crown, and that all political connection between them and the state of Great Britain is and ought to be totally dissolved. And that as free and independent states, 
They have full power to levy war, conclude peace, contract alliances, establish commerce, and do all the other acts and things which independent states may of right do. And for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Wow. You may be seated. With a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, I would put in there, we could easily put in there, with firm dependence. Independence was only possible through dependence upon God. Whether or not all of them were Christians, and of course that's debated, and some of them are deists, and loved, it was a moral nation governed by God's principles and His rule of law. Powerful, powerful words. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. The title of my message this morning is Declaration of Dependence. Declaration of Dependence and focusing on freedom and what that is. 2 Corinthians 3, starting in verse 12. Since this new covenant as opposed to the covenant of Moses, gives us such confidence we can be very bold. We are not like Moses, who put a veil over his face so the people of Israel would not see the glory fading away. But the people's minds were hardened, and even to this day, whenever the old covenant is being read, a veil covers their minds so they cannot understand the truth. And this veil can be removed only by believing in Christ. So everyone has a veil over their lives until they are renewed in Christ and become a new creation. Verse 15, yes, even today when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with, the, with that veil and they do not understand. But, verse 16, whenever anyone turns to the Lord, then that veil is taken away. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, He gives He gives freedom. Wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, He gives freedom. And all of us have had that veil removed so that we can be mirrors that brightly reflect the glory of God. Wow. Like the moon reflects the sun at night, we get to be those lights in the darkness of our world today. We reflect the glory of God. But of course, as we've been talking about, we must first authentically and genuinely reflect who He is and His Word in order to do so. And all of us have that veil. And as the Spirit of the Lord works within us, we become more and more and more and more and more like Him and reflect his glory even more. Wow. Notice that as, as Paul is talking about here, and if you read all the way through verse 12 of chapter 4, you will see 
that every bit of their freedom, Paul is constantly talking about his, how his freedom and his liberty in Christ is always for some, in order to benefit others. It's never just for us. The freedoms that we have in Jesus are never just for us. The question is, is do we have a proper view of freedom? Freedom, as Paul talks about in here, if you get into the Greek, the freedom here means liberty to live as we should, not as we please. Big difference. Well, oftentimes we think of it just as, I, cool, I can do whatever I want to. But it's liberty to live as we should, not as we please. Or omitting things in our lives that have no relationship to our salvation. I love this. Look, move over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, just two chapters over. Verse 14, it says, Whatever we do, it is because Christ's love controls us. And he's talking about calling them to be ambassadors of Christ, reaching out to others around them. What God has given you, give it away to others. He goes on, Since we believe that Christ died for everyone, we also believe that we have all died to the old life we used to live. Jesus died for everyone that those who receive his new life will no longer live to please themselves. That is one of the greatest freedoms that we receive in Christ is freedom from the tyranny of self and what self desires. One of the greatest freedoms that we can have. Those who do not know Christ yet are bound to their own selfish desires. What a miserable existence. It's one of the reasons why Jesus came to set us free, is to set us free from ourselves. We are our own worst dictator. Instead, they will live to please Christ, who died and was raised for them. Paul is describing true freedom through dependency upon Christ. Living to please Christ in a way that reflects both his death and his resurrection. Let's go to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. So Christ has really set us free. Are we? Really? Let's try that again. So Christ, I'm not after, you know, jumping up and down, standing on the chairs or anything like that. But did you get that? No, seriously. No, Christ has really set us free. Now make sure that you stay free. And don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Don't get tied up in slavery to the law. What's religion? Define religion. We've done that a number of times. It's man trying to do something. What is religion? It's man trying to earn favor with God. Every other religion except for Christianity, and yet even Christians still try to do this. Even though they've been set free, and in, especially in the book of Galatians, Paul is just exhorting them. is like, hey, if you guys are still trying to earn this, you don't have it at all. You're not actually born again. You're not saved. 
So he says, freedom is only found in receiving Christ's work on our behalf. So religion is man trying to work his way into favor with God. Christianity is God giving man the free gift of salvation through faith and grace. That's cool. All right. Verse 13 and 14. Listen to this. For you have been called to live in freedom. You've been called to live in freedom. Not freedom to satisfy your sinful nature, but freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God. Love people. Love God and love people. Receive His love. And then in turn, be a reflection of His love as you live in His love. There's two things in Colossians 3 that he says to us in verse 12. He says, you're called to be holy and to live loved. And then he goes on talking about how you should go on doing that. To be holy and to live loved. That is that true, pure dependency upon Jesus, which creates freedom for us and the peace of God. Holy Spirit. Thank you for your word. Thank you for opening up your word to us and helping us see what we need to see. We just declare our dependency upon you as we always do. We, uh, we pray at some point here in, in the message and we just say, Holy Spirit, revelation is from you and you alone. Would you go to John chapter 8? John chapter 8. The truth shall set you free. The truth shall set you free. True statement? Is it? Okay, so it says, You shall know the truth. This is verse 32. Verse 32 of chapter 8. And you shall know you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. See, we typically rehearse this verse like a good Greek. We're actually called to be more of a Hebrew mindset, have more of a Hebrew mindset instead of a Greek mindset. See, Greek mindset is that they believe that if they merely heard the truth or knew it intellectually, that they knew it and that it would result in transformation. Because I asked the question, will truth set us free? Is that really what Jesus said? Let me give us a, let's, let's take just a side note here. Let's get a key that will really help serve us in our, our study of the Word. It's, it's something that I, I gleaned from Gregory Kokel. And uh, he says, one of the greatest errors we make is merely reading a Bible verse. Which actually produces greater slavery historically to mankind than almost any other thing. Is people reading the scriptures wrong or out of context. And he says, the great, one of the greatest gifts I could give you, Gregory Kolkel says this, he says, never read a Bible verse. In other words, never merely read one verse. We'll miss it every time. Always read at least a paragraph. Always read at least a paragraph if you want to unlock the meaning of a passage. So, 
Think of it this way. When you enter a conversation that's already in progress, what do you do? Two people are talking. You walk up to them, and you're getting in halfway. What do you do? What do you ask? Hey, what are you guys talking about? It's exactly what we need to do with the scriptures. Hey, Jesus, what are you talking about? Well, you got to go back and get the, the, uh, the back story, okay, leading up to it, and then we can usually unlock the meaning, getting the context. So the, tra- the same is true here. We've got to get this big picture. Remember this. Write this down. Context is king. Context is king. So popular, or contrary to popular belief, Jesus never said that the truth sets you free. Let's check this out. So John 8, 32, it says, you, know the, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. So we think, okay, truth sets free, we learn the truth, and then freedom follows. Let's look at the context. Jesus said to the people, verse 31, Jesus said to the people who believed in him. So these are, these are followers of Jesus. These are Christian folk, right? Christian folk before Christianity actually happened, but we, they're church folk at least, these Jews here. He says, you are truly my disciples if you keep obeying my teachings. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Okay, so what do we get here? Jesus prefaces this freedom with conditions. It's not automatic. What are the conditions? If the result is freedom, what are the conditions? Faithful discipleship. Faithful discipleship. A faithful follower of Jesus to his word. So we are set free when we abide and obediently follow, as the Amplified Version says, goes on to amplify the text a little bit. We're set free when we abide and obediently follow God's word while following Jesus. Do we see that in verse 31? We don't fulfill the conditions. We don't experience the freedom. It's not automatic. We can't claim promises out of context. Our culture. How does our culture define freedom? How does our culture define freedom? Do what you want. Okay, when we did our, and we were in the series Wired for Worship, we talked about the one satanic command. In the satanic Bible, there's only one command. What is it? Do what thou wilt. Do what you want on your terms, how you want it, wherever, whenever. Whatever feels good, do it. What is the fruit of this type of worship in terms of the primary issues that we're facing today? What would be some of the major headlines that we're looking at today? Maybe we should start with, does anybody read the news? Is it worthwhile at all to read the news? What are some of the major headlines right now? Major issues. What's that? Okay, same sex, same gender rights. Yes, what else? Sorry? Cairo, Egypt, what's going on in the Middle East? Yes. Sorry? Gang activity? Okay, shooting in schools? Abortion? 
sorry? Benghazi. Yep. IRS scandal. Immigration reform. Redeeming, the English redeeming themselves at Wimbledon after 76 years. Was he Englishman? He's a Scot. The UK redeeming themselves at Wimbledon. Do you guys claim him? You guys don't claim him, huh? Okay. Let me draw our attention to three prominent issues right now that are going to be very, very important ongoing. And this is, the, somebody mentioned it, the first one being same-sex relationships and particularly its effect on marriage and the definition of marriage in the United States. We're facing one of the most challenging, this being one of the most challenging issues uh, in the life of the church historically. And when you look past, certainly in each generation, there have been different uh, challenges that the church has faced, but this is very, very um, a difficult one. The discussion, the debate, the conversation all around it is so intensified and very emotional, very difficult for people to talk about this issue and not immediately be put into, painted into a corner somehow. Though it's not the most important issue, it seems to definitely be one of the most prominent in our national conversation. We're going to be, because we must, uh, talk about it. We're going to be revisiting this conversation at a later date, looking at its impact on society, family, individuals. But this is a, a topic that we must be informed about. We must have the ability to engage our neighbors in the conversation. I'm not talking about a confrontational thing, uh, anything like that. As we mentioned in the, uh, the, you know, the apostles, after the Holy Spirit infused them with power, then in chapter 4 of Acts, they, were, they, were, they could see on them a boldness. And that boldness had to do with their conviction, not necessarily the volume of their voice. But there was a conviction in them that was unwavering. And they could tell that they were with Jesus. That means that when you see people who don't know Christ and who are not living for Jesus, these are people that are hurting. They're desperate. They're desperate. They're broken. And it is going to require the life and the love and the grace of the church to be able to restore these people. It's not going away. And as the church, we cannot, if we are, we cannot, and this is one of these things as we go through these different issues, if the shoe fits, then we just need to wear it. Don't go home barefoot, you know. But it's not going away. We can't put our head in the sand and, and hope that it's just going to pass us by. We cannot underestimate its significance, impact on the culture and the church in the coming years. What we refuse to address, no matter what the topic is, we will pass on to the coming generations because we didn't deal with it. And how many times that that has 
plague the coming generations because we didn't establish uh, clear lines in the generation preceding. The Christian view on same-sex relationships does not rest on a few portions of Scripture. The biblical view only makes sense in the light of teachings about human sexuality and heterosexual marriage. That's the only way we can make sense of it. Although the recent Supreme Court decision on same-sex marriage only validated same-sex laws in those specific states that affirm those unions because it did not impose those laws on the other states like Roe v. Wade did with abortion. But this is an, Amer- this is an issue, and I, I, I believe I'm, I'm calling you to go and research and look at these issues yourselves, but I am saying from my personal standpoint that this is an issue for the American people to decide, not a few judges who sit in power. They cannot be the ones who decide on behalf of the states. We saw the devastation of that with Roe v. Wade. I'd like you to stand with me, and I, I want us to pray uh, in regards to this issue that Holy Spirit would give us wisdom. Holy Spirit, Father, Jesus, we declare our complete and total dependency upon you We desperately need your wisdom. Leaders who are on the forefront of this discussion and conversation in our culture, we ask for wisdom for them. Holy Spirit guidance, temperance and prudence, humility, that you would guard the the hearts and minds of those who are engaging in these things. We say, God, we ask that you would help us just with, with anyone. You would help us to reach to reach, to touch, to love those who are bound in this lifestyle. And we're, we're praying for compassion that would come from your church. Lord, compassion. Not confrontation, not stirring things up. We're asking for compassion. We ask for every single person who claims themselves a follower of Jesus to be informed, to understand and know, and to get involved in the conversation that is going on right now. In the name of Jesus, amen. 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 You may be seated. The second issue that I want to bring to our attention that is so critical and another one that's at the forefront of the national discussion and that smacks in the face of what true biblical freedom is is the freedom of choice or the freedom of privacy that somehow our justices discovered in the 14th Amendment. But uh, it has been used in our nation to justify ending the lives of millions of innocent children before they are born. Now, I, we at no point is this meant to be condemnatory or insensitive to anyone who has experienced this type of thing or who's been associated with it, whether it's you directly or with you or family members or friends. This has nothing to do, this is not pointing the finger at any woman or any man who has participated in this type of thing. Please understand that. Please hear that. 
because there is absolutely no condemnation in Jesus. And statistically, I know that there are probably some in here who have experienced these things directly or indirectly. Those who have received forgiveness of Jesus through his blood, these ones should be the greatest champions for life. Bishop Long, a number of years ago, he said, our mess is our message. Every single one of us has a mess. Our mess, or the mess that we've made of our own lives, becomes a testimony of God's faithfulness and his grace and his forgiveness for us. Regardless of who we are or what we've done, we all, every single one of us, must play a part in this fight for life. This is not against anyone. This is for life. We cannot shy away from these issues as difficult as they may be. In hopes of preventing atrocities similar to the Gosnell case in which Dr. Gosnell was found guilty last month or two months ago of three counts of first-degree murder in the deaths of babies who were born alive. The U.S. House of Representatives recently passed le legislation that would ban abortion after 20 weeks. Recently, a Gallup poll released in May shows that 58% of adults say that abortion should be illegal in most circumstances. Another poll in January showed that 80% say all abortions in the third trimester should be illegal. This is a step in the right direction for sure. This demonic attack against women and children must stop. It starts with prayer and it ends with us being our answers to our prayers. We cannot merely pray. I, I hope that sticks with us here at North Shore always, that whenever we're praying, we're always asking God, God, make me the answer to your call. Whatever you're wanting to do as I'm praying and I'm praying in your will, let me be part of the answer. Let me be part of the solution. And of course, that's God's design, as Paul was talking about. Any freedom that he has was always something to benefit someone else. What these statistics tell us is that most people's minds can and will be changed. But they're not going to happen because of politicians. Trying to, you know, different sound bites and different things like this. It's going to happen by the community of God, calling them back to Father's heart, helping them to see what they can't see, and what so many of them who have been involved in abortion in some way or another, they've been deceived, they've been lied to about the truth of what an unborn child is. No nation can remain for very long with such practices it's going to take us building relationship with people helping them to see what must be seen would you stand with me I want to pray again Dave Strzeski would you pray 
and uh, in just this and, and uh, just nice and loud and brief. Yeah, just from where you are, just go for it in regards to life. Yes. Amen. Yes. Yes. Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yes. Yes. Yes, Lord. Yes. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thanks, David. Last thing I'd like to bundle here is the freedom of religion and the freedom of speech. Speech is costly. It's not free. It's one of the most powerful liberties that we have is the freedom of speech. Unfortunately, we have used this to exploit women and children through pornography promote all kinds of immoral behavior in our society. No nation can remain free and still practice such things. We only need to look to Rome historically because there, we're, not in, we're not, the United States, uh, and I believe many of the Western nations, are not uh, threatened militarily to be overcome that way, but as Rome to rot from within morally and ethically is the greatest concern. Lord, we ask that you would allow us to use the speech that you've, the freedoms uh, of speech and the freedom of religion. We know that all of these issues that we're talking about boil down to worship. Worship of, of who or what we're going to worship. And these idols that have been erected in our nation in particular, we ask that you would tear down those things that do not honor you. And we ask that you would help us to be a part of that solution and the answers to those issues. Amen. Amen. One of the things that I want to call us to in particular is what is your individual place? What is your individual place? What's your individual responsibility that God is calling you to? There will be various things that, that we will do collectively as Christ Church North Shore. But what is God calling you specifically? Conversations that you're supposed to have. Go into Matthew 5 and look at, we're called to be salt and light. How do we do that? What is my responsibility before the Lord? Christ is on the planet. And he's on the planet through his church. We are God's kingdom. We're part of God's kingdom. We are God's sons and daughters. We're followers of Jesus. We cannot stand by. You hear stories about, you know, somebody being attacked on a street corner or something like that. And you hear these stories about how people stood by. 
capable defenders, bystanders, who could have done something, and they stood by and they watched injustice take place. We are complicit. We are responsible if we do not do something. We must be those who take action. Our Lord and Savior demonstrated that while we were going to hell, He did not stand by and watch us go there. He came to give us freedom. And we get an opportunity to be deliverers in our nation here, in our generation. I don't have time to get into it, but if we could, well, we'd go into William Wilberforce, uh, the great English statesman who worked for 40 years, and he died just before, after 40 years of working to see slavery torn down uh, in the entire British Empire. 40 years he fought for that. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who opposed Hitler uh, with the underground church in, in uh, Germany during World War II, seeking to stop that. Martin Luther King Jr. made peaceful but powerful demonstrations to gain equality for blacks in the 1960s. These are things that were the righteous call of God on their lives. Freedom was given to all Americans as we were reading the Declaration of Independence. I'm glad we got an opportunity to do that, even though it took a little bit of time to go there. But uh, many men and women have given their lives and continue to lay their lives on the line, such as the men who have served, who are serving in the armed forces today. Freedom is Christ himself. Can you say that with me? Freedom is Christ Himself. Amen. 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 What I want to do here at the end is I want to make a declaration of dependency upon God. But I want to do that just actually in silent contemplation. And I want us to think and I want us to listen to the Lord. Lord, what are you calling me specifically to do? God, what is my action point? God, how are you calling me to imitate you as a deliverer? Think about who Jesus is and what he came to do. To destroy the works of the devil. To set the captives free. Remember in Luke 4? His mission statement. Good news. Setting the prisoner free. What does that specifically look like, Lord, for me? Biblical conviction must be followed by appropriate biblical action.
Amen. Stand with me, will you please? I know it seems ominous. How can we make a difference out here in the Northwest and, and wherever? Don't, don't think, you know, this, this big, huge thing of I'm, I'm going to go to D.C. and storm the whatever. And, you know, that's not what we're talking about. You and your world, the Holy Spirit will come upon you in power. And you will be my witnesses. Where's your Jerusalem, people? Where's your Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth? Start in your Jerusalem. That's your own neighborhood. That's building relationship for the long haul. Getting involved in our cities. This isn't about going and, you know, prayer walking all, all these different places, Lake City and stuff. You're called to your city. There's a reason why God's put you in your neighborhood. That is sovereign, sovereign, sovereign. It's not enough. And I know that you're a people who are not satisfied with merely attending church, hearing a nice message, but we are called to be the church, and that's what this is about in our day and age. Amen. We declare total dependency upon Jesus Christ. The only way we can declare independence from sin, from the slavery of self, any of those things is declare total dependency upon you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. We'll see you.